what are we doing here this morning? We are here to worship the Lord, and we are here to sit under his word. We are here to gather around the Lord's table and to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, bringing us all together. Um, We are here to actually lift up before God our prayers and our requests, and we have some very specific things that we will be praying for at the end of our time together. We are here to give to the ministry and to the goodness of God. That's what the people do when they come together. Uh, And it is good for us to be in the presence of one another. I'd like to begin this morning by reading the word of the Lord. Uh, This is my text that I will be preaching in a moment. Um, And I I just thought that we would do this. We won't do this every week, but I would like to do this today out of a a kind of a a, a sense of, of honor and respect. Would you stand, please, while I read the word this morning? I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning, as we sit under the the, the teachings of Jesus Christ, uh, as we continue through this series, uh, what the Son of God taught, we actually see in one of the most famous encounters that Jesus has with his disciples, um, uh, kind of something that might actually surprise us. I I still remember it wasn't that long ago um, when uh, we began to really become obsessed with opinion polls. Uh, There was just a kind of, you know, it's always good to kind of know, but I think as the country becomes more and more and more divided, uh, it's it's good for us to kind of get a sense. Hey, are we on the insides on this particular opinion? Are we on the outside of this particular opinion? Is, is, Is myself, is my family, are my friends, is the church in agreement with the rest of American society, or are we finding ourselves not in agreement? And so they're more and more and more. I mean, sometimes we have them uh, in terms of, so who are you voting for this November? Or what are your attitudes about climate change? Or what do you actually think about what's going on right now in terms of the, uh, the, the racial injustice? So let's, let's talk about all these things, and then we kind of get a sense of what people think. And, and I don't know what you think about opinion polls. I think there are some people that absolutely love them. And there's still enough junior high gym left in me. Junior high gym, that's the one that wants to kind of fit in with everybody else. Do you still have like a junior high version of yourself, senior high version of yourself? I'd like to pretend that he doesn't exist. I think sometimes you might even look at me and go, yeah, Jim, I bet you're not overwhelmed by that. Well, maybe not. I'm not overwhelmed, but I am aware of that. I am aware. And, and so the, the, the idea of, of opinion sometimes can really, really, really sway people and other people, or I don't care. 
I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people think. And, and, and what should be our attitude about that? I, I find it very fascinating that what we actually learn in this particular encounter that Jesus has with his disciples is that Jesus seems to, at some level, care what people think. He seems to care. He, he asks Peter a very specific question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is. Like, why would he ask that? I mean, I bet you if I were to ask you kind of one-on-one, do you think Jesus really cared about what people's opinions were of him, um, the majority of us would just go, well, no, I don't think he cares at all. And if what we mean by that is, is that Jesus would not be overly tempted or swayed by that so that he might change what he would do or change what he might say. I would agree with you. But people's opinion about God about Jesus, about racial injustice. It matters. And I think it's even good for us to be honest about how and why people's opinions about important things, essentially is what I'm talking about here this morning, like it matters. And one of the reasons why it matters, and I, I remember the, probably the first time I had this thought was just a few years ago. We had started a summer study and we were going through a book by A.W. Tozer um, and he was just describing the, just the magnitude and the splendor of God. And it really was a book that, uh, that kind of changed a lot of my thinking about God in a number of different ways. Really strengthened some. It really challenged others. It deepened all of it. But A.W. Tozer basically makes this particular claim. He actually says that the most important thing about any one of us is what we believe about God. The most important thing Really? Like the most important thing? Like more important than what I do? Like more important than um, my marriage? Like more important than my children? Like more important than what's going on in the world? The most important thing, actually, in terms of what's going on in my life, are my thoughts or my opinions or my attitudes about God. And I have spent a lot of time over the last few years trying to unpack that, that bold And the more that I think about it, rather true statement. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now now we need to realize that when when he says this, when he asks this particular question, he is asking this question and he is really pointing at himself. He's not just asking who do people say that the Messiah might be, or who do people say that the Son of Man, I think that's a synonymous term here in this text, that the Son of Man might be, No, he's asking about himself. One of the ways that we know that is that in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 8, when Mark records this encounter, he doesn't actually use the phrase son of man in this first question. He uses the phrase I. Who do people say that I am is how Mark actually records this. And so what Jesus is saying, because it matters, it matters what people say about Jesus. Now, now by the way, here's why it matters, and here's why your attitudes and your beliefs about Jesus matter, is because they are a sign or they are an indication of the current temperament or the current understanding of your own heart, of your own mind, of you, of your life. And, And so therefore, can you see why it would matter to Jesus? Jesus eagerly desires for you to have the right attitude, the right opinion, the right beliefs, the right response to who he is. 
Because if you don't get Jesus right, everything else is either wrong or is both wrong and also misdirected. That's how important Jesus is. That's how central Jesus is to God's plan and purpose in the world. And, and so, therefore, this morning, I, I want us to, to look at what, what this encounter that Jesus has with his disciples disciples. And I want us to begin to think about, okay, so what do I actually believe about Jesus? And not only that, I would like for us to be aware of, of, the, of the implications from this text is that there is an honest and active engagement that Jesus' disciples are constantly having with the people around us. And I, I believe this is one of the most basic and one of the most essential questions that we can have in our relationships. Who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? In, in Matthew chapter 16, so I hope you have your Bibles open to that, I, I want to take a little bit of a step back for us to just see how Matthew is developing this idea. If you look back at, at chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, you will actually see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees approach Jesus and they're testing him and they want to see a sign from him to verify who he is. Hey, Jesus, we, we want to see a sign. Will you show us a sign? And I'm thinking to myself, if you have been paying attention, signs have been all over the place. What, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to behave? And, and Jesus looks at these, um, at some level, r religious leaders, more the Pharisees than, than the Sadducees. He looks at these religious leaders and, and he makes this comment about their lives and I keep coming back to this idea. He says to them, why is it that you are so good and you are so capable of managing your own lives, of knowing how to interpret things like the weather? Like, how, Why is it that you know? I mean, you know what it's like in Oklahoma in this time of year? You walk outside, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon and then it's just like that that quiet, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're just going, okay, boy, oh boy, I think the weather's gonna, how, how do you know to do that? How do you know to do that? Why do you care so much? Why are you so intentional about this? And why? Because the weather matters. And, and Jesus is saying to them, you seem to be able to interpret rightly or properly those things that you care about most. I think this is an honest question, church, that we need to ask. I, I would dare say that almost all of us are relatively good to very good at the things that matter most to us, right? You can look back at your life. I'm not, I'm not, you probably don't think you're perfect. You probably don't think you're absolutely amazing, but the things that matter the most to you have, have a, kind of brought out within you a, a passion and I would even say an expertise and I hope you're able to say thank the Lord and I'm grateful to God for giving this ability to me. And Jesus says this to his audience that, that want to know who he is. Jesus says, why is it that in the things that matter most to you, you're able to interpret them rightly? You can figure out the weather. Some of you have been able to figure out the stock market. Some of you have been able to figure out parenting. Some of you have been able to figure out your relationships. Some of you have been able to figure out the things that matter most. And Jesus says, so why can't you understand me? Why do you miss on me? 
And I, I, I like to just kind of wrestle through and think about the implications. I, I really do believe that one of the reasons, one of the greatest reasons why people miss about Jesus is because they either don't care enough about him or they somehow are so misguided that their opinions about him or their opinions about life or their thoughts about the way that things should be and are not are, are greater than their ability to be humble, their ability to be responsive to what God is doing. We, we, we come across this on a regular basis. Jesus says, I speak in parables or I even do these signs and if, when I'm speaking, for those who have ears to hear, they can hear me. When I'm performing a sign, there are those who have the ability, their eyes are open, and they can see properly. And so this whole section here in Matthew 16 and its corresponding section in Mark chapter 8 are asking the question of the people, generally, and then the disciples more specifically, do you have the right attitude and the right opinion, which then leads to the right response about who Jesus is. Do you have the right attitude, which then leads to the right opinion, which then leads to the right response to who Jesus is? So who? Who do people say that I am? And, and they give actually four different responses. They say some people actually say that you are John the Baptist. That's who you are. We actually know that in Matthew chapter 14, verse 2, that Herod thought this. Herod had John the Baptist killed, and then he heard all of what Jesus was doing, and he said, ah, John the Baptist has come back from the dead. That's what he was afraid of. Because they were doing the same kinds of things. And what's interesting is, we don't know of any miracles that John did, but somehow the teachings of Jesus lined up so much with the teachings of John that Herod, who had killed John, actually believed that somehow he had come back from the dead. And so for some people, they just said, yeah, he's John the Bap you're John the, John the Baptist. Others actually believe that you're Elijah. And, and, and this, it's very interesting. I don't know how much they actually expected like the real Elijah who went on to be with the Lord. We don't know if they expected like that real Elijah to come back from the dead. Uh, there are some texts that are found in the Hebrew apocryphal writings, which are those that did not actually line up. They're not considered as scripture, but they are very much historical accounts of, of what they thought and what they believed. And there were a number of people that believed that when the Messiah would come, when the Christ would come, that there would be a resurrection of great prophets. And, and so they looked at the teachings of Elijah who could do amazing things, who was clearly someone sent by God. And the disciples say, I've heard, I've been listening, I've been paying attention to popular opinion. It came out in you know, the Galilee Today uh, news article the other day uh, that 74.3% of all Galileans actually believe that you are Elijah. And I don't know if you know this, but actually 89.6% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Get it? Okay, it was funnier than you're letting on, but I, 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 I hear you. So some actually say that you are Elijah. Some that say that you are Elijah, which, by the way, as, as uh, Jesus saying, sent by God, yep, I'm that. Um, I'm actually speaking against uh, the brokenness that exists um, in, in, our, in, our, in our world and in our, in our leadership. So yeah, there are some things that are very much that, are, that Elijah was about that I am actually about. Anything else, he says to his disciples. And then they say, and this is a very interesting one, commentators love to talk about this, and then they say, some say that you're Jeremiah, 
And you have to wonder, why Jeremiah? Like, it's kind of an interesting one. Now, for those of us that, that maybe even have spent a lot of time studying the Old Testament, we would know that he'd probably be one of the greatest prophets. Clearly, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets. Maybe Elisha. Isaiah would be one of the great big prophets. And, and then Jeremiah. But why Jeremiah and not Isaiah? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is quoting more Isaiah than anybody else. He just walked through an entire chapter talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he was quoting Isaiah over and over and over again. Why are they so interested in Jeremiah? We don't know specifically what it was about Jesus that triggered that. But here are some very important similarities. Jeremiah was a prophet also sent by God, much like Elijah, who was preaching about the impending judgment of God upon the nation. And and clearly, I think, they could detect in Jesus, in his words, and in his attitude, something that was reminiscent of Jeremiah. Um, Somebody who, one of my favorite statements about Jeremiah is, uh, Lord, you really have put me in a very, this is my translation, Lord, you put me in a very difficult spot. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, and after every time I speak, they just, they run around and they ask, why are you pronouncing this kind of judgment? It sounds like treason to us. Why are you pronouncing judgment upon our nation? Literally, on every side, they are attacking me and they are judging me for my message. Jeremiah was not just the weeping prophet, which is an interesting comparison to Jesus, but he was the prophet who was able to speak with incredible clarity God's truth upon a nation, and he was met with opposition at every level. It's like he could find no real place where people would accept his message. And the disciples said, I've heard a lot of people say that you're Jeremiah. And then as kind of this catch-all, you know, kind of like uh, D on a test or all of the above, right? Um, They actually throw this as the last category or another one of the prophets, or another one of the prophets. So, um, you know, I guess maybe this is like that miscellaneous category. Uh, we had 12 people when they were pulled. They thought you were Isaiah. Four thought you were Nahum. Three thought you were actually Jonah. Like, that's kind of this catch-all. They, they, they see in you, Jesus, this prophetic role, which is interesting because in this first section, it, it seems to be the most natural way for people to look at Jesus is through human eyes and have then a human response. Who is Jesus? He's, he's just another one of those guys. He's just another one on a long list. Th- this is why when preachers are asked to, to speak uh, or to pray over public gatherings, um, they, they, they will even ask us, hey, be very careful. Like when you, when you end your prayer, if you wouldn't mind, please just say something about God and not about Jesus specifically because we have a number of people in this room that, that don't really believe in the Jesus thing. It's kind of a common expectation nowadays. It's been going on for a long time though, so don't be going, ah, I knew it, I knew it. Another thing that happened that COVID caused. No, it wasn't COVID that caused that. It's been a very popular American sentiment. Jesus is just another one of those guys, all going all the way back to our founding fathers. There were some of them that thought Jesus is just another one of those guys, like Elijah, or like Jeremiah, or like Isaiah, like John the Baptist, just another one. And, and by the way, that attitude is something that most world religions have. He's like Buddha. Um, He's like 
he's like Muhammad. Not, he's not as, in, in the Muslim world, he, he's not as important as Muhammad, but he's another one of those guys. And, and, and clearly, that is wrong. You can have some of the most respectful, some of the most thought out. There, there have been some very famous theologians throughout the years. Yes, theologians, people who have devoted their time and attention to think about God. And they believe that Jesus was, in fact, just another one of those guys. How many of you know the name Albert Schweitzer? Okay, some of you know who he is. Famous philosopher, uh, great humanitarian, did a lot of very good things for humanity. Uh, but he is kind of noted as one of those individuals um, that was really set out in his thinking and he dedicated his life's thoughts and his life and am- ambition um, to the development of, of, of humanity and caring for his, uh, his brothers and sisters in the human race. And he started something known as the quest for the historical Jesus. And in this quest, he wanted to get rid of any kind of lofty ideas or lofty thoughts that made Jesus any more than just one of us. And a whole bunch of people kind of chased after him and his thoughts. And they were all wrong. Just like when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Like all of these answers are wrong. Jesus is not John the Baptist and he's not Elijah and he's not Jeremiah and he's not another prophet. He is so much more than that. Your attitude, which then kind of leads, right, to your opinion, which then leads to your response about Jesus, matters. And so if this morning your attitude, opinion, and response to Jesus is he's just another one of those guys. He is able to give me really, really, really helpful ways to look at the world. I don't know if I want to take him honestly, uh, like full force on every point, but when, when Jesus and I are on the same page, I've actually found him to be rather helpful. If that is your understanding of Jesus, it's wrong. It is woefully inadequate. And it'll actually set your life, and therefore your eternal destiny, in the wrong direction. And, and that is why Jesus then says to his disciples, I know that's what people say, I know that's what the Pharisees might even think, some of them, most of them think he's a lot worse than those things. I know that's what people say, but what about you? He asks that question. But you, in verse, verse, verse 15, he asks, who do you say that I am? And then all of a sudden, Simon Peter actually stands up somewhat as the representative. This is the first time this happens in Matthew's gospel, where Peter stands up. It's also the first time and the only time that Matthew's going to refer to him as Simon Peter, kind of drawing attention to his name. Peter responds kind of on behalf of all the disciples, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ, or you are the anointed one. All three of those terms mean the same thing. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Now, it's interesting, that idea of the living God, um, well, since he's God, he's got to be living because there's no other way God could be other than living. But that phrase is a very popular phrase that distinguishes God from all the other gods, which are not just dead, but they're silent. 
They cannot speak. They cannot hear. They do not exist. And, and so Yahweh in the Old Testament loves to describe himself in the book of Samuel um, when, when they talk about the one who's going to sit on the throne of David, which is kind of a Matthew idea. It refers to Yahweh as the living God. And so Peter says this, the one true God, the living God, you are his son. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus responds by letting him know that although people's opinions about himself matter, because they are very, very insightful about our own heart and the direction of our own lives But Jesus' opinion matters more. And what I want to look at as we close is I want to look at what Jesus' opinion about the church is. We begin by looking at people's opinion about Jesus, and then Jesus turns it all around, and he begins to speak some rather profound and deep uh, eternal truths about himself and the people that he is going to call after him, us, the church. The, the, the word church actually appears only three times in all of the Gospels, all in the book of Matthew, twice in chapter 18, and then once here in chapter 16. The, the word in the Greek, Greek is the ekklesia, two words, ek meaning out, and kaleo meaning to call, to call out, those who are called out. But that might actually be going too far. Uh, really what it means is the assembly, those people who have decided to gather together around what? Why did we gather this morning? Well, mutual encouragement, sure. Why did we gather this morning? Habit. It's not a bad habit, by the way, to come to church. Why did we gather this morning? We gathered this morning because we are, in fact, followers of the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We are here this morning to learn from him. We are here this morning to remember him. We are here this morning to love and to care for one another because he has commanded us to do so. And so Jesus makes some very strong statements about the church. The first one is this. He says to Peter, unlike popular opinion, unlike just kind of being left to our own to try to understand who Jesus Christ is, Jesus actually says to Peter, you are blessed. He pronounces that blessing. You see in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, which most likely is just son of John. He is a son of, his dad's name was John. Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood, humans, man, did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Clearly there is a, uh, a God element that is involved in the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. God is the one who reveals Jesus. God is the one who makes him known. God is the one who calls the prophet. God is the one who sustains the prophet. God is the one who sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The reason why Jesus came and the reason why we have hope and the reason why we even have understanding, revelation about who Jesus Christ is is because God has provided it and God has allowed it. That's why when we talk to others about Jesus, it's not about our wit and it's not about our wisdom. It's, it's not even about as, as much as we are, we are loving because we are followers of Jesus and our love should definitely shine through. But I know a lot of really, really loving people who are really, really frustrated because all their love is not able to overpower the rebellion or the stubbornness, or the self-centeredness of those that they love when it comes to their opinion and their attitude about Jesus. 
And Jesus makes it clear, Peter, the reason why you know this is because the Lord has revealed it to you. So the reason why the church exists is not because there were a lot of really, really smart, good, dedicated people in Stillwater who responded appropriately to these truths. We, we kind of measured it all out and we figured it out. No, it is the goodness and it is the kindness and it is the greatness of God. I love to be reminded that I'm, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ because I grew up in a Christian family, although I'm really, really grateful for what my parents taught. And as Courtney is honest and as wonderful as it is that Asher has a really, really wonderful parent named Rachel and then a husband of Rachel named Ryan, and I think that's a wonderful thing for them, and we're going to do our best as Orange, right? Courtney, like over in the treehouse, and then in Elevate, we're gonna do our best. Morgan, we're gonna do our best as they go up through junior high and high school, and right now, Scott and Drew are meeting with our college students because we're gonna do our very, very best to help prepare our, and we're gonna do everything that we can. And then it kind of comes to the end, and then what? And then after we've done everything that we can, we, we leave everyone or all of us find ourselves in the hands of the living God. And it is God himself who reveals himself. It is God himself who makes himself known. It is God himself who sustains us. And, and I like the fact, I find great comfort in the fact, I find great encouragement in the fact that my faith is not just up to me. But God is an active, I would argue the primary and the greatest participant in this great quest that we have to know who Jesus Christ is. And God reveals him and makes him known to you. Made him known to Peter. And then Jesus says of this church, he says, I will build. I will build. A number of years ago, we as, a, as an eldership and as a, as, a, as a leadership, as a staff, decided that we were going to do some strategic planning. You know, because that's what organizations do. And then we spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, and we came up with some really, really, really important biblical ideas. And I remember that the person that was helping us through this was very gifted and done consulting in a lot of different business contexts. And he asks, is this, is how, is this how churches work? Is this like a common thing for churches to do? Are, are the, most, uh, the, the biggest and the most significant and the fastest growing churches, is this how they grow? And I just couldn't help but be reminded, actually, no. And I had read a book. Most churches really focus on strategic planning as they find themselves struggling to maintain what they have. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with strategic planning. I am both humbled and encouraged simultaneously by this reminder. Jesus Christ said, now Jim, you, you tell the truth about me, but I'm going to build the church, not you. Like Sunnybrook staff, like you continue to love and to care and to train and to disciple, but I'm going to build the church, not you. Like Sunnybrook, I hope that you understand that there are a lot of responsibilities that we have, and I hope that you take your part in this fellowship seriously. But I hope you know that it is Jesus Christ who builds the church. It is Jesus Christ who sustains the church. Not you, not me, not us. It is not our clever insight, but it is Jesus Christ himself who is an active participant in the church. And then he says this, which is kind of a very interesting thing. You know, the, the gates of hell is kind of an old translation. Ours changes it to the gates of Hades. Actually, what he's really saying there, Hades is just the Greek idea of Sheol, Sheol, which is the place of the dead. And, and I think the most natural way to interpret what Jesus is saying here is that death is not 
able to overcome what I'm going to do. For whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm now in my 50s, I am increasingly aware of my mortality. Increasingly aware of a time when I will not be. And I just have to wonder, do you think Sunnybrook will be okay without me? Do you, do you think my, my, my family, if something were to happen to me, you think they could be okay without me? Like, do you think the mission could somehow like, be okay without me? And the answer is what? Yes. And James is the first apostle who dies rather early on in the church's history, and the church moved on. There is a famous statement that God buries his workers and continues his work. And so Jesus makes it very clear. This isn't a, and the gates of hell and all of the enemy forces. It's true that the devil cannot defeat what Jesus Christ is doing. But what he's actually saying is, is that the church cannot will not die out. That death, that when I had an opportunity to be at two different funerals this week, I thought it was rather fitting as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to loved ones and, and preachers pontificate about their family member that has passed on. And I just look at the family and, and, then, and then they have to go on without that person that they've loved so much. And they even ask that question. I'm just trying to figure out how to go on without Grandpa. I'm just trying to think what it's going to be like to go out, go on without mom. And, and interestingly enough, we all ask those questions. And especially when it seems like popular opinion, uh, the church is kind of losing its favor or losing its ground. Well, ultimately, the good news is, is that in that sense, Jesus is not interested in opinion polls. And death, yours, mine, all of ours, cannot extinguish God's work in the world. It cannot extinguish God's work in Stillwater. It cannot extinguish God's work in your family. It cannot extinguish God's work. Death is, in fact, powerless. Think about that. Powerless to overcome what Jesus Christ is doing. And, and then lastly, Jesus actually gives this rather very interesting and uh, humbling statement he actually says to Peter and to the apostles and I will give you the keys I will give you the keys to the kingdom I'm, I'm going to give you the authority to speak on my behalf I'm going to give you the the right I'm going to give you the place I'm going to give you the the position of authority and and this is by the way one of the most interesting and I would even say at some level controversial sections I was speaking to a number of friends of mine who are of more of the Catholic persuasion within Christianity and this is obviously a very important text for them. They clearly see Peter as the one that Jesus is anointing or is appointing as the leader of his church. And he sees the, the church itself, the Roman Catholic church, as the one who now has the authority, the keys. The keys of the kingdom really are, and I'm going to give you the power and the authority and the right to speak the truth about who I am. And, and that's what we have. I believe the church, I believe through the passing on of the teachings about who Jesus Christ is, we collectively, I believe there's something special about our, our eldership as we submit to this word. There is something important that we both submit to and that we both hold out as the rule and the standard for what God is doing in the world. That God has given to the church the keys. God has given to its leadership the keys 
And, and whatever they, they loose, whatever they bind, whatever they, uh, basically the, the, the idea of loosing and binding is they set the parameters, they set the guidelines. And, and Jesus actually says, you have done this. You, you have this. We have been given in the word of God enough information to know enough about Jesus that the church then becomes, in the views of the world, under the authority of God, under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit, the ones who propel forward our mission, the ones who continue to speak the truth about Jesus in a way in which God then verifies by his spirit and his word, and then what we say about Jesus matters so that then people come into the church. People then understand the truth about Jesus and they respond to who Jesus Christ is by the way that we speak about him. And so we actually see in this, uh, this very interesting uh, conversation that Jesus has with Peter is that there's this ongoing invitation for Peter. I, I want you to talk to more about me. I want you to talk to, to others about who I am. And I want you to know that how you share that and that how you live actually matters. And I believe it's because God has revealed it. Because Jesus is the one who is building it. Death cannot defeat it. And therefore, do you understand your rightful place to make me known in your world? And that is what we do as the church. By the way that we collectively live our lives, by the way that we sit under the word of God and the spirit of God alongside one another as the people of God, we hold out the truth to who Jesus Christ is. And I pray that we will do so intentionally and I pray that we will do so powerfully. I pray that we would do so humbly because the people's opinion about Jesus matters and Jesus will build his church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done, for your accomplishment and your purposes in the world. God, we thank you for how you have sustained us and Father, how you have made us. And now we pray, God, that you would be the one to speak truth into and over our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.